Hey guys, and welcome to the next episode of the Shane Walsh Fitness Podcast. So we are at Coach's Corner number 10, I'm going to guess. Uh, I never know the number, it's so bad. Um, but today is the first episode with one of the new coaches from SWF. So we've got Jane, we've got Dallas on. So I'm going to get Jane to do a brief introduction for herself. Jane has been on the podcast twice before. I think it's episode 37 and episode 70. Um, so Jane and Dallas, how are we? I'm good. How's Jane? Thank you. Jane, I'm going to get you got you to do a very very brief introduction for yourself to give a little bit of background to yourself. Where you? What's your name? Where do you come from? What's your name? Where do you come from? <laughs> um, my name is Jane. As you know, um, my business is Real Nutrition. Jane underscore Real Nutrition. People would know me on on Instagram. I am a nutritionist. I've been working in the field to some capacity for almost seven years now since I kind of transitioned from working in marketing and complete career changer and slowly, steadily transitioned to nutrition, which I am now doing full time. Um, I have a very holistic kind of approach to my, my coaching with you know an evidence-based nutrition background but then I really do have a strong interest in behavior change have a base coaching the psychology element of it and I really love working with people and getting to know the ins and outs of them and how best I can support them and working really closely with them in that way that's a very quick synopsis fair play I'm very proud of myself I was very I was like if I say quick I thought James was going to go off on a tangent I was <laughs> so gentle so tempting that I was like I can do this I, I could be brief and concise. Um, but no, like Jane has been, I, myself and Jane have known each other for quite a while and she actually introduced me to Dallas uh, through the one of the courses that we, we did. And uh, the episode that we're going to kind of talk about today is something that Dallas and Jane wanted to talk about in particular because I think it's coming up more and more in the in the media. It's coming up more and more. There was a particular story I know uh, triggered a few people, triggered a few clients, triggered a lot of people, and I put it up in my stories in relation to kind of like weight stigma um, and kind of like the body confidence movement and stuff, which are two of the things that we're kind of going to talk about. But I think we'll talk about kind of like the weight stigma first of all. I think there's two ends to it as well. I think there's the kind of like the skinny stigma, and then there's the obesity stigma to it as well. Um, and I know there are a lot of like social rejection negative thoughts attitudes kind of devaluation of others that are towards kind of weight stigma and i think it's in everything that we kind of kind of do um and i know from myself from working in recruitment i've definitely seen it firsthand that when it, say, a candidate came in and they may not have been in say so-called perceived the best shape or what the media wants you to think is the best shape and they came in and ne- might not necessarily have had the best interview or the, the person who come back in or the, the recruiter come back in and kind of start making comments on other people's opinion appearance. HR will come back and kind of come back and with comments saying the person didn't get the job because of how they came across or their appearance or whatever it may be. And I think there's there's more and more kind of absenteeism happening in relation to jobs. I think there's some figure of like eight point six five billion per year of obesity related $8.65 billion obesity-related absenteeism last year or the year before, I think it was. Like, it's it's madness. 
And I think but the problem is that a lot of people don't actually realize that they're actually doing the weight stigma. I think it's like 61% of people don't believe what they say about a passive comment to someone is actually an insult to someone because of their potentially overweight. I'm going to let, I don't know which one of you guys wants it in relation to the talk of obesity. Like I think a lot of people think that obesity is a choice rather than an actual illness. So I'm going to let one of you guys take that. Um, me? <laughs> I think we're going to go. I think we're going to go on the soapbox first. <laughs> Give me the mic. Um, I think, the really worrying thing about it, it's such a politically and emotionally charged subject. And that's something I think that's really important to say first and foremost. I think that's one of the reasons that people tend to shy away from it, particularly in our field, which is quite worrying. Like we're all in fitness and nutrition and you would think that that would be an area where, you know, you will be open to talking about it because we all work with people who want to lose weight and like with fat loss to varying degrees and who are struggling with obesity and and all the related conditions and the, and the stigma that they have to deal with. Well, it's an area that a lot of people just shy away from so much because they're afraid that, you know, they don't know enough about it or understand the political sides of it and all that's out there on it. But the problem is with weight stigma is we need to create a platform and have a conversation about it so that people can kind of understand it. And just by starting a conversation, showing empathy, showing curiosity, I think that's enough. And I think it's something that us as practitioners and the general public and population need to be more willing to do. It's like, be curious, be interested, talk about it, start a conversation. You don't need to know everything. You don't need to be knowledgeable about it. You don't need to be in that body to be curious about it and to have empathy and be willing to listen to what people are saying and give them a platform to have a conversation. I think that's a really important place to start. And then in understanding with weight stigma and our own actions, and how we can contribute to it. It's it's the fact that it's like, with a lot of other types of discrimination, you know, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice necessarily in your gender. You don't have a choice in your color. And they're like the more, the more the kinds of discrimination we we know more about. You know, we, we see it's more apparent. When it comes to weight, there is that whole idea that it's lifestyle related. You can change it. You have a choice. And then there's all these ideologies, as you're talking about in recruitment, like, you've seen a firsthand that's attached to people who are obese as being things like, like things like being lazy, no motivation. But then it even gets to stuff like there, like there's association with being low intelligence, bad hygiene, all these awful things that are shaming on people and that they're aware are being said about them, thought about them. It's, it's horrific. And actually nothing good ever comes from shaming, you know, and these are all the ideologies with something that is assumed by a lot of people is lifestyle related and you can fix it. You know, you just should just eat less and move more, right? You know, it's get into that calorie deficit. No bother. We can do that. And like, it's not like that obesity. It's so multifaceted and factorial. There are so many elements to it. Like we're, we're all aware of that because we're really interested in that field and, you know, psychology and stuff. And we know that there's so much more to it, like the economics like socioeconomic situations, like upbringing, genetics, psychology. And that's just like a few elements that contribute to it. And I think it's really important that people understand the broad dynamics of it first and then understand the impact that this is having on people and the little things that we all do day to day. It's like we all have biases. We all like, you know, have those little things in us that we, 
that are there that you have to accept that we have. But by being aware of them and willing to make changes, just become a bit more aware of the words we use, how we think. If you see someone who is obese, consider how you think. Like, what's the first thoughts to come into your head? It doesn't mean you're a bad person. You have an opportunity to change, to be willing to learn, to to question yourself, you know, about it. Like, think of every time you say you feel fat. Like, that's a, this is a really simple, actually, this is a really simple example of how, where you don't realize you have a bias, but it's something that we, I, I know I've said it. I know I've, I've done it in the past where it'd be like, you feel fat. It's like there's an emotion, emotional attachment to being fat. You're, you're assigning an emotion. But beyond the fact of like knowing how to deal with the real emotion instead of the feeling of fatness, there's another aspect of that is the fact that you're assigning being fat toward a negative emotion. So therefore, you're seeing being fat as such a negative thing to be. You could be feeling ugly. You could be feeling overweight. You could be feeling sad. You could be feeling stressed. But because you feel negative about yourself in that moment and are not addressing the underlying emotion you associate it to feeling fat because to you being fat is something bad it's something negative and that's another to the pool of things out there that make being fat being overweight like in that sense being obese such a negative thing and we all contribute to it in these little tiny ways day to day and I think that's why this conversation needs to be had even by people like myself who are not super knowledgeable and I will never say I am on the area or field but but hell I'm curious about it and I want to know more about it because I believe I can help people better the more I know and I can be better I guess uh, I'm a soapbox there <laughs> <laughs> no but the, the, the fat the fat is not a feeling thing is is a massive factor of it because say when someone feels bloated they say I'm fat when when there's a difference between fat and there's a difference between bloating they yeah. feel different first of all but they also feel different mentally as well neither of them are comfortable but it's about recognizing what the actual true emotion behind the language is mm-hmm. and a lot of people get uh, trapped in that kind of negative language that negative speak towards themselves and that becomes self-professing truth over time and i know dallas works with that a lot an awful lot with his clients simulation to trying to change the language from a practitioner point of view, Dallas, what have you what have you seen as the hardest part for someone in relation to trying to change the language in relation to how they kind of view and see themselves? I'm putting you on the spot right now. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it's understanding where those things come from. It's understanding why they're there and where the true emotion comes from. And I think it's one of the biggest things they're trying to do. It's like, I call myself fat or I say these things or all these negative connotations come from a certain aspects, whether you've experienced them from your environment or they have been taught to you as a kid. It is something that we often don't think about. So it's like we go on these rampages where we call ourselves fat, where we call ourselves ugly. We do all these things, but we never answer what were we doing in that emotion? Where did that truly come from? Is this a baby era I keep going through? And how do I look at it in a better light? But a lot of the time, it's it's just easier to repeat that. And we don't want to accept that when we do call ourselves fat, when we do call ourselves ugly or whatever the negative emotional connotation we use, we're once again repeating the behavior. We're cementing it even further. We're making it harder for us to climb out of this hole. But we also forget what changes it does to our body. It's like we sometimes forget that 
our thoughts have quite a drastic ability on our body. We can change a lot of things within our body. Like just simply by being upset or annoyed or angry, we can put ourselves into a heightened state of arousal. So it's like, everyone's like, yeah, but that's, that's not a problem. It's like, well, if you happen to be in that position every single day, well, that's a problem now. Now we're creating a very chronic aspect of arousal. That means your immune system is always on edge. There's going to be a time where that has to come down. So now you have issues. So it's trying to look at it when, especially when coming from a client perspective, it's like, right, where are these emotions truly coming from? Why are they occurring? And then let's look at it in terms of, do we need to refrain the emotion? Do we need to accept what is occurring? And then it's using that to kind of show better light. But for people, what they think it is, it's just, I'm calling my fat. It's okay. Let's move on. There's nothing wrong with it. Yet telling yourself that story and creating that identity. I know like myself and Jane, we've always had these conversations about like ego and identity and self creates quite a bit of issues in the long run for a person and where they truly can go. And it's like, those words do matter. Just you got to know where they come from. Do you feel a lot of people struggle with kind of looking internally to identify those or do you think they stunt them? And then they know what they are. They just don't want to deal with them. Somebody who is obese. Okay. So like we've got low self-esteem, everything like that can happen at any, any body type. That feeling of fatness, body dysmorphia can happen at any body, any any size, any shape. I'm someone who's like struggled with disordered eating in the past and low self-esteem, body image, things like that. I've been overweight, but I've never been in a body that's been discriminated against for being overweight. I've been overweight in the sense of overweight for me. I've been very lean. I've been I've been bigger, but I've never been a body that's been discriminated against. So. Anybody can be susceptible to that, to low self-esteem, to disordered eating. And it it is horrible and it's a struggle within itself and it's very damaging and difficult. But when you're looking at somebody who is obese and is having those thoughts about themselves, they've got society projecting and confirming those thoughts to them. So imagine that. So it's not just like when you are low on yourself and you think you're fat. You think you're this, you think you're that. And that's damaging and awful and needs support. But then you're getting, it's like you use that idea with people of like, you know, I've said it to you guys before, like, you know, when your thoughts are spiraling and you're anxious and you're overthinking, you go pick, try and find three facts that kind of confirm what you're thinking. I said this to you like recently in a conversation. And imagine if you're somebody who's obese and you're having all these thoughts about yourself. And society and the world around you and everybody is confirming them because they're treating you in that way. That's discrimination. So like you feel shameful and ashamed, but you're being shamed at the same time. So that's, I think, where the whole other platform of negativity, you are having it confirmed. You're being discriminated against for work. You are being discriminated against in in our field in fitness, going to the gym, like, you know, it's embarrassing. It's tough. You're being judged. Like, and it's not like you're like, like, it's not like they're not. Cause like you've heard it. We've all heard it. People will, they have those preconceived ideas of people who are overweight. It's why there's weight stigma. It's why we know this is a big issue. And that makes people who are obese, even more susceptible and vulnerable, not only to feelings of low self-esteem and, you know, those negative body image, all those different things. It's like in depression, all of that. It also makes them really susceptible and vulnerable 
to marketing, to the diet industry, to all those quick fixes, detoxes, everything like that, even like Slimming World, Weight Watchers, all these things are like promised quicker fixes because they are ashamed and embarrassed at times to go to the gym and go for the longer process. The longer process is scary because it takes too long to be where they want to go and to be in a body that's going to be accepted. And that's like my thoughts on that anyway, but it's like that it just leaves you so much more vulnerable and susceptible because you don't have an out, you know? It's like you can hear all the slow and sustainable that we promote and everything like that, but nobody wants to hear when they're obese and they're being discriminated against that first thing we're going to do first and foremost is teach you how to maintain and manage your weight for a while and be in a better place because it's not quick enough. It's like, but the world is against me and telling me everything about me is wrong, you know, that I'm not accepted. And don't realize that there's so many, as you said, those multifactorial, multifaceted reasons why they're there in the first place. But nobody seems to give a shit in society. They're just being marginalized and made feel crap about themselves. So it's, I just think it's something that like, the awareness of how lost people might feel when they're in that situation is something that I think needs to be communicated more and not oversimplified that there's so many different reasons and it's very real that people are being discriminated against about their weight and that just because you've been overweight or you know in your life or that you've had difficulties with your weight to to a lesser degree or have low self-esteem or body image doesn't take away from that that's an awful within itself and something that needs to be supported and worked on but it's not the same as being at a level of obesity and weight that you are being marginalized shamed and discriminated against on a big grander scheme you know and I think that's something that that separation needs to be seen I think and understood for people to really kind of empathize and understand why what we're doing isn't working and why everyone like the society is contributing to making the obesity epidemic worse by shaming and marginalizing people you know why would you sorry um why would you see it as an aspect that society does it i think that's an interesting thing you're talking to me or you're talking in general well both it doesn't really matter it's an interesting aspect as in because society's been doing this for a while we've yeah. noticed that yeah. we, we have a biological need to be a part of something be seen be heard be loved you know we have these aspects but yeah conversely we have part of us that are willing to push people out shun them out create those groups push yeah. people away so it's like why do we see society go through some of these problems because if you look, if you like to look at the likes of, say, movies from when we we're kids, I'm going to pick the movie of The Mighty Ducks, one of my favorites. You've got Goldberg, who's the big fat goalie. And he gets shamed, he gets jeered, he's, he's the jolly, the jolly bigger one. And he's stuck in net because he's the bigger, he's going to take up the most space in the goals. That if we're, and that's put into us as kids, that whole story. So that's, we bring that to what we want to do now. So we brought those social norms from from what Disney or whoever made the movies are. I bring that to what we're trying to do now. Of course, we're going to attach this to, to things. And then we've got now with the likes of call-out culture now as well with social media. Because that's been normalized for us when we were younger. And then we bring it to, we all do it all the way through school. If someone's different in school in any way, teenagers and school kids are horrible to each other. Like I was watching the in-betweeners last night. They're horrible to each other. Um 
but then you kind of like get now it's like people can sit behind a keyboard and now kind of call out people or kind of do call out culture and kind of call people x y and z whether it's skinny shame fat shame and it's putting the prejudice and discrimination out there on a platform and then younger generation will look at that and say that's the new norm so let's put that out and keep doing that then you've got twitter all that kind of stuff and it's not okay and if you look at books and previous stories and movies and all that kind of stuff that's where it kind of comes from and if you even look at music videos when we were younger like there's a there's an act called fat boy slim like it's like it there's there's loads of different things the the, the whole thing of being fat and jolly comes from santa as well like the whole thing, there's different, different stigmas from different characters have been created. Um, all Most of the Disney things, Pixar, there's different, like, I think it's in Asian culture, like I think it's in Hong Kong or something like that, one of the, or Chinese culture. It's like, there's a fat pig and he's he's he promotes kind of wealth and uh, jolliness and happiness. And if you rub his stomach, that's what he's meant to do. That's what's meant to bring to your life. And that projects onto what other people think of what a, a kind of a, a person who's meant to be, but internally someone may not be feeling that and then they beat themselves up over it. Yeah, I do think there's like marketing, there's a massive, massive role to play in it in these days. Like, a, you know, when it comes to like the diet industry and everything like that as well, they don't really want people to nail it. You know, it's like there's a huge demographic there of people that they, they don't really want it to go away. You know, there's also like the food industry and the fast food industry and all these different things. Like, you know, we haven't quite evolved to be able to, it's just a hungry brain quite a lot. Like we're like a prehistoric brain in the modern world. Like, you know, that's, I don't know if that's his line or something, so from another book I've read, but it's the same idea. It's like, we haven't evolved to be able to deal with the world and the environment around us. We haven't. Everything's quick, fast food, everything you want, you know, hyper-palatable food, food left, right, and center working against us. And you can combine that with, so you've got marketing, you've got all of this, then all of the other things that go on in life, different traumas, different like, you know, cultural things, genetic, all of these things are exacerbating the whole issue. And culturally, like, and even like human beings as people, yeah, we are, we're community-based. We strive for connection. It's a really big part of who we are and what we do. But also the survival of the fittest, that would be a part of it too. Like there would be people shunned, you know, if you didn't connect or you weren't, you know, you weren't part of the tribe that fit in, you will be shunned, you know. So that's also an intrinsic part of human nature, like and the connection side of thing and the tribal side of things. So we would do that. So you have to look at like when people like to belong, but people also like to separate if you don't belong with them. Like people are afraid to go against the crowd at times. And when you've got things like lack of education and socioeconomic reasons for things like the obesity epidemic or people getting overweight, you've also got lack of education, socioeconomic reasons why people would look badly against it because they haven't got the education to understand that there's more to obesity than people overeating and people being lazy because that's what marketing says, you know? People are very vulnerable and susceptible to advertising. We know that from bad diets that take on all those things. So if you've got a group of people who are like uneducated in certain ways or unknowing and don't have the privilege we do of learning about this stuff and understanding it and be able to show empathy, they're just going to show judgment. It's mm. someone who is different. They are different. I can do this. I can like stay lean. They can't. Something's wrong with them, you know? And people don't want to delve in further and understand the reasons behind it. It's just like shun, 
they're not part of my community. This is my community. This is where I belong. They're the outsider. That's wrong, you know? And I do think they're very big parts of human nature too, unfortunately. Yeah, that's true. I think also it's an aspect there, like you were saying, there's a lot of, it's a multifactorial approach to obesity, but also to many forms of diseases um, that often people don't look at. So like even looking from the whole nature versus nurture scene, you know, it's a lot of this can come from childhood as well. Cause like we've seen how genes can impact appetite yes. from, from the moment you were in your mother's womb to the point you come out, like you've got a, a genetic predisp uh, predisposition to a certain amount of hunger. So that means that if you happen to be the person who's predisposed to a high amount of hunger, the amount of food that it's going to take for you to be satisfied is going to be infinitely higher than someone who could just say, oh, look, I had a protein shake, done, I'm, I'm fine, no issues. So it's like there are so many things that we forget to take a look at from even terms of the environment you're growing up in and what you had access to. It's like if you grew up in a position where everything was quick and easy for you to get and your mother could give you a lot of food in the beginning as well, like that's going to predispose you to a certain amount of how you look at food, how you can eat food compared to say someone who's grown up in a position that hasn't had these capabilities where they've had to fight for food. So that means now if you take that person out of a position where they had to really fend for it and put them in a position of immense amount of whatever you want, now you're going to start seeing adverse effects start coming on because it's like, I've never had this amount in my life. I can eat anything I want. I can have these things. And it's a psychological trigger now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, there is so many things to this aspect, but it's often, it's just, you're lazy. That's the point when it's like, it really shouldn't be. And then you touched on trauma. I think was an interesting one. <laughs> I gave you that one. I gave you that line there. <laughs> couldn't resist what do we see when we end up having trauma so like what are some of the issues when it comes to trauma then lack of being able to cope basically and that's the hardest part because there's no there's no right way to deal with it and i think a lot of people think there is a particular right way to deal with it and then when their reaction is completely different to what they think it should be they don't know how, they just don't know how to deal with those emotions and because they potentially push down a lot of emotion for a lot of time everything kind of rises to the top and then everything just implodes, unfortunately. Like there's no right way to deal with grief. There's no right way to deal with breaks up, breakups or whatever it may be. But yet we're painted this picture by society or whatever it may be that it has to be this way. Or I think, I've, I think the, have you, have you watched the Amanda Knox documentary on Netflix? Yeah. So the whole thing was the media painted her as a cold killer because she didn't react a certain way that a, a killer supposedly would because books or medias or movies mm -hmm. will be like, she needs to be like, like basically stroking a cat in the corner and doing the turny thing on a chair or whatever. But she was like, she was kissing her boyfriend at the time after getting arrested, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they, they, the, the media latched onto that saying that she was cold and callous. Everyone will react completely different. Mm -hmm. Uh, to different situations. I don't know what your take on it is, Jane. When it comes to trauma, I agree with that. I agree that like, when it comes to anything like that, it's going to impact different people in different ways, dependent on many different factors. Sorry to be like, really vague on that one, but I actually read something recently that, let me see if I can get this right, around trauma. It's like trauma impacts the body like a car constantly accelerating and revving as it exhausts the system quicker. And yes. it really does the system faster. And I was like, that explains it kind of well. And that like, 
that level and something that Stephen said earlier about like kind of you know with stress and like that underlying constant stress it just like wears the body out you're constantly like it's like chronic stress and it's like it just leaves so much more susceptible to burnout to illness to anything like that having you're in that heightened state all the time I think trauma has a sim- similar impact on the body it's like the whole book the body keeps the score and like the fact of how dependent I don't even think I know what conversation we had recently and I was saying that like I don't believe that the same traumas will impact the same people in the same way again there's so many different factors something nobody has a right to tell you what traumatizes you you know because some people can seem to like breeze through really really awful situations and do really well and be more resilient to it work through it and then something can happen to someone else that's relatively small in comparison in like in 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 typical sense of it that can really cause an impact and traumatize them and it shows itself in so many different ways like things from brain fogs and just like lack of clarity lack of like memory loss things like that you can bury things down you can be easier quicker more reactive in relationships heightened stress you know people will it'll it'll show itself in so many parameters of your well-being or the physical sense of it you know of getting things like tummy issues ulcers different things like that from like so many different conditions or even their mental health you know people will be led into like things even if it comes from like low self-esteem but even into depression anxiety things like that it can trauma can be so impactful in so many different parameters of your well-being and of your interaction and your relationships with others you can be massively triggered by certain behaviors and others that maybe aren't even showing slightly, you know, you just maybe how you read the situations. So I think that it's just such it's just so broad in its impact, but the one clear thing is it's second damaging. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also an aspect that we need to stop looking at trauma as in, oh, someone's gone through a death or someone's gone through a car crash. It's like just the way in how your parents dealt with you as a kid can be traumatic. It's just like you wanted your mother or your father to look after you at one point in time and they came home from work and had a very, very bad day and they didn't give you enough of the time during that moment you needed them the most. That's a traumatic experience. And everyone's like, yeah, but like I was a kid. It's like, yeah, but you still carry on those aspects to life. It's like it's changed your perception, that view in that point in time which has put you on a different path. And it's, just, it's why we always say, like the environment is a big key factor in your behaviors. What has happened in your early life, your adolescence in your life, our traumatic experience change so much about, not only about your DNA, but also just how you cope with everything else in life. And it's a big aspect. It's like, as you were saying, there's like brain fog. We get to people who end up like their ability for life starts to deteriorate i.e their lifespan goes down because we keep bombarding the dna with issues we keep having like if you want to think about it inflammation popping up in the, the body like we've got these little sticky little things at the end of the dna called telomeres and they they usually go longer and shorter through the period of life the more traumatic experience you have you start seeing these start relatively start dying off quick and quick and quicker before they're meant to be so it's like you start looking here like trauma has a massive impact on the body, but it's also a massive impact in what we do in every other day of life. But we often just go, yeah, I just ate that all about the food because I felt like it. It's like, but did you actually feel like it or was it more of an aspect that it's coming from something that is there that's not addressed? 
Yep. Yeah, but I think like it's it's funny. Yeah, yeah. You just need a Ah. a plot. You just need a mic drop there. Uh, uh, We'll we'll crop in a mic drop noise in for you there, Dallas. Um, But I think what you said about the trauma, like it is, it is, it's interesting. The fact that the first thing I went to was like death, rather than like like if you think look the top sources of weight stigma are like family, doctors. Uh, uh, kind of school and classmates and then you've got like sales or like mm. I know one of the situations that I know we're going to talk about is the the, the lady that got uh, rejected her insurance I think for her mortgage mm. um, but like comments from from family can have massive impacts I know Dallas has had this recently firsthand I've had this with in relation to with clients and stuff and what they've said to us in previous messages in relation to someone who said something to them when they were a young age and that was just, that's been a story that they've latched onto. That's something they've latched onto and lived with that for so long. And now having dug down a little bit deeper, getting a little bit more uncomfortable, they've been able to address it. And then after having addressed it or been worked on or tweaked it, they've been able to push in the direction that they wanted to go in. It's not comfortable. No, it's not comfortable. Um, and I know with doctors and stuff, like from being in, in and out like a yo-yo for the last like three or four months the comments you hear from doctors in relation to certain patients you can overhear them and i was in one of the hospitals and it was just happened to be in the diabetes uh, area and the the patients were there and then the nurses and the doctors were talking about the patient as soon as they walked out the out the thing and i'm just like you can't do that no. like if i can hear it emphasis on if i can hear it everyone can hear it that's what i mean and it's like things that you're like if you're told you're if you're fat you're obese as a kid or whatever i know you've got some people who just like grow out of it and there's there's a little bit chubbier or whatever as a kid and they grow out of it or get a growth spurt or whatever but then you've also got people who are like held back or can be held back by that those little words or those big words to them and then they live their life kind of going that way and they, they never really address it unfortunately um yeah you think about that as a kid like the stuff that really sticks in your head like there's obviously there's the big traumas and like the big things that happen you know everyone's been through different things to varying degrees but so often when you you think back it is the little things that stick out in your mind like for myself as someone that has been through issues around that area and like my body and stuff like that and if it was overweight as a kid and stuff i was only chatting to a friend this week about stuff like that and kind of remembering like times when I was younger and I said I was never I was like never at a size that would be classes and you would be discriminated against but I remember walking down the street and like having kids in the area going like oh the ground is shaking and like being called duck arse for having a big bum when I was younger and things like that like you know talking about them it can be said lightly now but that stuff clearly had an impact on me or even being called chubby chops as a kid and stuff like that there's so much around my weight when I was younger that that had to have some impact on me leading towards me becoming so focused on my body for such a long period of my life you know from a very young age that was something that was there or I know that like if I would get upset I would be given food like like as to kind of point it out, I was the youngest child in the family. That is normal. I was annoying as fuck. Like I would like scream a lot and like want attention. Shocker. Like, you know, so much has changed. But like that, you know, it was, that was it. Like, and 
so it'd be easier to kind of to do that and there's no badness in there it's like I would have no blame on that because it's quite a normal thing to do you know for overall parents to kind of when you've got the screaming youngest kid out of four kids quieting them down a bit but when I add join the dots and consider that like oh when I was sad or emotional or upset food made me feel better I reached to food at a later point in my life as being the thing that helped me mm. not deal with my emotions. You know, I also had a lot of people, a lot of mockery of my body. I remember being in school and when I got really into dance at a point and I lost quite a lot of weight through good and not so good means and um, being on stage doing a performance and suddenly people who had never have spoken to me in school started to speak to me and kind of congratulate me on my, 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 my weight loss and kind of ask me why I hung out with other people who were still overweight and stuff like that. And they were my friends. And like suddenly they, I was worth talking to because I lost weight. And those things stick with you in your mind. Like, and when you think about that, like it's uh, like, that is the type of stuff that stays in your mind. And then it's, it's traumatic to a degree. And it definitely you can see the knock-on effect and I think that happens to so many people, so many varying things that you look upon as negative traits in yourself or like things that hurt you from childhood stuff that, yeah, maybe as an adult, you could handle a lot better. And that really malleable child brain, that young brain that's so vulnerable and susceptible to everything, you know, and plasticity of it and stuff. It's like this stuff is going in and like forming these thoughts about yourself. Like I know it's like someone who's like, I was a really smart kid that was super into reading and a bit nerdy in that and of writing and reading super imaginative but then all I gave a shit about for a seriously long period of time was what I looked like and I lost myself like I lost the person I was being into like the imaginative creative like quirky kid because I believed that all that mattered was the physical because that's all I was ever was ever going to matter and what I was going to be given attention and be applauded for from school and from that idea. And it just shows the, the vulnerability of people and how easy that is to happen. And those things are quite traumatic. So it shows the small things that can create a knock-on effect from trauma to trauma, you know, I think. It's a very interesting thing because like, we it brings a lot of the self in there and traits and how we see and perceive ourselves. But it's, the annoying thing or like the annoying thing the interesting thing is like traits as a whole is just a middleman for us to describe something you know it, it, it's that thing that we use to label so that way we can at least actively talk about it it's not something that's there and i think it's it's interesting in the sense that when you start to question some of these things you go through you start realizing that where some of them lead to you pull a thread and it just keeps coming and coming and then you see connections here and here and then you realize that a lot of the stories you do tell yourself are going to come from those time periods cool but it also a lot of it comes down to how you were at that very time what emotion ran through your body at that time that point when you had some food sitting on that plate and you went oh look i'm going to take my whole face and i'm going to slam it into that cake because this made me feel good and then that emotion then unravels to other areas in life and then you finally get to adult life where your brain has developed to look back at these things and you're going like if there was only a point in time where someone came to me and put their hand on my shoulder and went 
everything will be okay. You don't need to go through what you're going through. Things can turn out differently. But we don't go through that with our kids. We don't go through that with even our friends. We don't have these tough conversations about what is occurring. We just expect people to go, hey, because I didn't know what I was doing. You should not know what you're doing because no one else knows what they're doing at that time. Suffer with the trauma, the problems of the world instead of going, hey, look, come on here. Let's have a conversation. Where's the teachers doing that? Where's the adults doing that? And then you wonder why we have issues when it comes to adulthood, because we've never had a position to be able to deal with it. We get to a point in adulthood where we now are thrust upon the ability to understand what occurred. Now we're like, holy crap, I don't know what to do. And then hence, you're sitting there on a Saturday night eating anything and everything in, a, in the possible just so you can get away from those feelings. And it's, it's something we badly need to talk about and kind of attack in a really harsh way of looking at things. That's right, like not having the conversation about anything. And this is back into our day not having the difficult conversation and being scared to have the difficult conversations about all of these different areas makes these things seem more shameful. Feel shame. If you're embarrassed and feeling ashamed about something, any parameter of like your physical, mental health and well-being, your life, not talking about it or feeling you can talk about it and other people not creating platforms to talk about it, just really, really fuels shame. And shame is so incredibly damaging in, in all aspects. And I think that's a real underlying thread of so much of what we're talking about, the trauma, the wake stigma, everything like that is like that underlying shame of you're, you're alone or people won't understand or it's something to be embarrassed about, like face planting and saying to a cake. You're, the shame in that, so much shame. It's like that's, that's where you're in. When you're binging, you're in like a shame, like a big shame spiral and like it's not a pleasant place to be, you know? And that's, so much of what the threat is throughout all this conversation is how shaming all of this is and it's at the core of it all I, I really believe yeah. it's funny you mentioned the word shame and like the whole element of kind of shame and kind of like the medical professionals and I think PTs do have a bit of responsibility on this side of things as well from seeing it firsthand is when someone has a client who could be overweight and like on the gym floor and the client is having difficulty doing certain things or not being able to kind of say how they feel or may have kind of had a binge or whatever it may be the night before or whatever it could be. Sometimes a bro answer can come out is that they don't want it enough. And it's like, that's just a lack of education from the PT point of view. That's one element that is not taught to us as PTs or nutritionists. You get a little bit of it, but it's so much more to it and i know there's incredible people like i know joe o'brien head first i know jane you're a very good a big follower of his and when he was on the when, and he's doing courses to try and get more information out there to pts like some media thompson trying to get more information out to pts that's what needs to be done anyone can stand there counting reps yes anyone can stand there but and you can be the best rep counter in the world i was awful at it i always lost count after about four <laughs> I was awful. Uh, 12. 12, yeah, that, that looks like 12. I'm dying. It looks like 12. Um, but I think, but it, it's it's the human element. Like you, you can't just coach someone like a robot and never address the actual underlying stuff beside it. Um, 
like if you look at kind of like the medical care like the, the people who are potentially obese or overweight or uh type 2 diabetic and something like that, they 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 have mass they can have massive bills in relation to their the ment the, the health system and then they're putting more time and resources are being put into them and then it comes down to like comments as stupid as well they just don't want it enough it's their choice that they're like this and it's like no that's not helping that's not getting to the root of it mm-hmm. think of that person like a tree get to the root causes of what's happening and get through the education system and i think now what's being happened now with this weird time is that a lot of people have pushed 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 things down for so long and the adrenaline overload is kind of calming down a little bit and they're kind of like well i actually have to deal with this stuff now yeah. and then come out of this and potentially living the life you want to live rather than being told by a PT who can't even count reps or being a PT who can't even tell you how to squat properly um, that you just don't want it enough. That's not very conducive. And I think the education system has to improve. I don't know what that looks like for the PT system or the nutrition system as a whole. Um, My PT course didn't go into that. It was like some of the information it taught me is absolute utter bullshit, but like eating for your body type. (laughs) Really? I think also, like, there was a slight paraphrase from one of my coaches, but it was uh, when making mistakes and everything, and uh, he called us over, and he goes, I want you guys to learn a valuable lesson here, and he goes, like, you guys did that wrong. And we're like, yeah, and he goes, now, if I told you guys that you're terrible people, you all did that wrong, and that nothing would change, go back and do it. He goes, how do you guys expect to learn from that situation? It's the same thing you take it upon yourself. You go, hey, look, they're being lazy or they're not working hard enough. It's like, okay, look at something you struggle with or look at something in your work that you do and say your boss came up to you and you were like, hey, Jane, you're absolutely useless at this. How do you think that is going to actually impact all the work you're going to do? Do you think you're going to see a change in that? There's going to be a small, small subset of people who can take that, feel themselves and do something, but they end up burning out later in the time because it all comes back to get them. So it comes down to, it's like, if you can sit there and go call someone, they're not working hard enough, but you can't look at yourself and go, if you were in a position that you struggle with and you can't see why someone's saying those, then it's probably time you took a step back from what you're doing and start reevaluating how you interact with the people in the world. And about empathy, it's like, I think it's, it's, it's kind of stuff because the fitness industry, fitness nutrition realm, like, Beyond any other realm, really should be more inclusive because at the end of the day, we all have a body. All of our bodies like are, are worthy of love, respect, you know, but all of our bodies also need fuel and need movement just to, to thrive, to survive, let alone just thrive. We need that. That's something that every human body needs, no matter like your gender, no matter your shape, no matter your size, no matter your ethnicity, no matter what you identify with, we all should, like we all deserve to belong in the fitness realm, in that sphere. It should be the most inclusive place because it's something that every single human being on this planet can benefit from and should be able to go and be a part of. Everyone should get to move, everyone should get to nourish the basic human requirements that we are we all deserve. And their human rights, you know, but the fitness sphere is not a safe space for everybody. It's not a comfortable place for everybody. It's not an inclusive place for everybody. 
and not enough people are having conversations about being more inclusive, you know? And I think that's really important. That kind of leads in with the kind of the body positivity movement then because I think there are a lot of people using it as a tool of getting more likes and more engagement on posts rather than actually believing it in themselves. <laughs> and I think that's not a very good tool. It's like, well, one, you need to curtail your feed if you don't feel that person's being genuine. You need to curtail your feed full stop if someone's making you feel like shit. You need to curtail your feed. Like, this is an amazing... I think you I think you introduced me to her, uh, Jane. Uh, Alex London? Yes. Um, so Alex has been on the podcast. She's huge in that movement, but she's in it for the right reason. She's had her struggles, and she was taught that she was being pushed down one avenue, made herself quite ill, and now she's a, she's a lot more content in how she looks and feels. Um, and I think it's incredible to have seen her journey. And now she's trying to put more movement in to try and help those uh, on social media in that trying to pass a bill in UK Parliament that if someone edits or crops their images on their bodies, they have to put a watermark on the bottom saying that it has been cropped. So protect the next generation. But I, but I think that's... I think that's miles away potentially. I don't know, like obviously it's not going to be the priority now when the pandemic's happening, which is understandable, but at the same time, more eyes are on the screens now more than ever because people are bored and they're looking at the screen all the time. Um, but I think with the kind of the body confidence movement, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see one of your guys, like I, I'm, I'm all for it if it's done in the right vein, but I don't think it's done in the right vein probably 95% of the time. Yeah, like, like this is something I feel quite strongly about. I like I posted about it not like only a few like month month or so ago. Um, just my thoughts on it. And it is it's very opinion based. I don't claim to know a ton about the body positivity movement. It's another movement that has a lot of layers to it. There is like even you start delving into various political layers and stuff to it as well. So I'm not claiming to be super knowledgeable about it, but I have some opinions on certain parts of it. And it's like, I am very much all for a diverse representation of body types on social media. I think it's extremely important. I think that it's very important that all shapes and sizes are represented honestly and openly and that like people are more positive about the fact that no matter your size or shape, that your body is worthy of love, respect, belonging, and you can feel positive about it. And that, that's something that I feel I completely agree with and concur with. My issue that like, I've, I've talked about this previously is that it's being massively taken over by leaner, fitter, white women in particular. You know, like, hey, hold my hands up there, very much someone who's in a privileged position and a privileged body, you know, in the sphere, in this sphere. But that's, what's hijacking the body positivity movement and a lot of people are trying to do it for the right reasons and there's good intentions and things like that but unfortunately the thing that i have the biggest issue with is everybody jumping on the highlighting their flaws you know the instagram versus reality look at my roles we all have roles we all have flaws we all have cellulite we all have this now in theory that's awesome because it's kind of like highlighting that we all have this we are we're, we're all normal we're human we all have these things you know that's great highlight that but the problem is there's a lot of very fit lean women really exaggerating these things 
to get more likes, which for general women doesn't make you feel better about your body to see a fitspo contorting herself into a certain shape to show a role. And my bigger issue with it is the fact that if you want normal bodies to be perceived as normal, stop highlighting normal attributes of a normal body as a flaw. What is normal? <laughs> Don't be standing there going like cellulite to flaw, highlight it. It's not a freaking flaw. It's normal. Just show your body as it is. Don't do it. Don't crop it. Just show it as it is. Jiggle, do the workout, take a picture. I'm all for celebrating yourself and put up a pretty picture too. All good. Celebrate your own self. Like, yes. Yep. But don't highlight those flaws as flaws because it perpetuates the idea that normal bodies are flawed and they're not. So represent all the different shapes and sizes. Be positive about them. Put out a diverse range of bodies out there. You know, strive for changes online. People like Alex London for a Zoom work. I weigh is an incredible incredible follow you know there's so many incredible people in the body positivity movement doing wonderful work but just be very very conscious of jumping onto the tail of it and using it for the wrong reasons and i know there's so much good intent and there's going to be people listening to us who have done that and put those images out with the best of intentions but just consider it moving forward that if you want bodies to be seen as normal and you are trying to view your own body as normal it's like putting out, you know, looking at something and go, oh, don't mind that image, you know, I had to filter it, no makeup on, or like, oh, Jesus, here's me with no makeup, looking like a scrub or something like that. You're automatically apologizing for yourself and being flawed. And that's something like I've done in the past myself. And it's like being con- conscious of that fact that like you're highlighting that when you don't have makeup on, when you've got cellulite, when you've got this, that, and either, that you're flawed. No. And so, yeah, I just think it's like post normal pictures, be normal, celebrate normal bodies and don't just don't just jump on that bandwagon. That's the issue I have with it. Like even pushing on from that aspect, it's looking at when you start um, showing the world flaws, I'll put that inverted commas because that is very subjective anyway, but when you start showing the world flaws, it's the same as showing the world, oh, look at my six-pack and look at my big giant arms or look at my booty. You've done the exact same thing. You've once again subjugated all forms of how people are meant to be looking at you. You then go into the person going, this is how I want you to perceive me now. You're not letting the person make their decisions. It's like you put up a picture and go like, hey, this is me. Cool. The person can then derive whatever they wish from that picture. But as soon as you go, hey, this is what Instagram says, this is what Twitter says, or whatever the social media is, and this is my flaw, you're now going, this is what you need to look at me, and this is how you should look through things. That's their flaw. That's their flaw. So instead of looking body positive now, you're just looking at people as in, oh, look, see, they too have flaws. They too have flaws, which is like, you've just done the exact same thing, and you just labeled it something else. It's like, nah, nah. All ident- it's all identity based on how you look, based on an aesthetic, based on an image. You know, none of that tells who the person is. It's jumping on an identity. It becomes very us and them again, you know, and which doesn't help anybody. It's like you're one camp or the other. You know, you're fat loss or anti-fat loss. And it's like, no, nah, there's like that road, there's a middle ground and all of this. There's that big middle ground where we all kind of sit, like I think to a degree in a lot of it, in it, in it all. And that's like, that's, the place to be but nobody wants to be there it's again you going back to the human nature of like connection and wanting to be part of a team and want to be a tribe you know 
like I'm this tribe, you're that tribe, this tribe. And then Instagram, it becomes worse. It's like this tribe seems to be getting more attention. I'm going to go on that tribe now. And that's the concerning thing, you know, yeah. and you help the psychology behind it or the people who are following all this who are getting more and more confused. Yeah. I think there's an element of companies jumping on the bandwagon now as well in relation to, I'm not going to mention them. Um, but I know someone who was in one of their campaigns who has struggled with certain elements of their bodies and they were in one of the campaigns and it was a nationwide campaign around Ireland. They're in, you'd see their photos all around, all over the dart stations and companies. I did my thesis on corporate social responsibility and they're in it for money purposes. They're not in there because they care. And they have to be seen to be doing something to be socially responsible. But the underlying factor of it is, will it affect the profit margin? And I think, unfortunately, some of the some other companies, I'm not going to, they're one of the, 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 the big kind of slimming companies, use these transformations that, they get someone from X to Y in say seven months and they use a certain amount of weight, put them up on a billboard campaign or whatever. And then someone was telling me about this story yesterday. And then that person, maybe seven or eight months later, was potentially back to where they were, if not worse. But they were used for to be looked a certain way when the story of the person hasn't been looked at. Like the the marketability of kind of transformation and like this goes into diet, anti-diet movement, all this kind of stuff. And that's that's a rabbit hole. That's yeah. that's a different rabbit hole completely. Um, but with the kind of the body positivity thing and kind of corporate corporates kind of latching on and kind of having these talks um, and having people in to talk about them and then having these kind of like diet plans kind of coming in. So I know someone sent me, um, um, they had one of the massive insurance, uh, health insurance companies send them in a, um, the meal plan in, wasn't tailored to any single person. And it was very, very low calories for men and women. I was actually told to eat this chicken and broccoli. Um, I got sent it yesterday and I was like, what is this shit? Um, it was like 1400 calories was the number. Jeez. And I'm just like, no, I'm good, thanks. That was my breakfast. Um, <laughs> when you do eat. <laughs> wow, that's shaming. Got <laughs> um, all the calories. Uh, words hurt, Dallas. Words hurt. Um, but I think what like with corporates and stuff, they like they 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 really don't give a shit what the, what the, who they put up on, like as long as they're hitting a, a, a target and all that kind of stuff. And I think that needs to be changed. There's too much money to be made in this industry. Yeah. from the company some supplement companies in particular from Ablast belts that bring back I don't know mustaches or some shite but their I think pain is profit to these people your pain point is their profit basically um, unfortunately and that's not going to stop there's no regulation going to come in anytime soon I think I was talking to Phil Lerny about it and he was like not in my lifetime and he's been in the, this guy who's been in the industry for like 20, 25 years. He's like, it's not coming in anytime soon. I think another interesting aspect is because we've been talking a lot about all these kind of body positive things and kind of looking at more kind of stigma and everything. It's for the parents out there who have children. What are some of the things you should look out for and what should you probably prioritize? Open to the floor. 
Do you mean coming from a, being a parent or do you mean coming to what, what you should be saying to the kid? Both. So being a parent is one. I'm going to become a parent. Um, I think one of the things I work on an awful lot is with the clients who have kids that I work with on a daily basis is if they're saying that they're always on a diet, their kid is going to be like, because I've some of them have said, oh, um, mommy, are you on the Joe Wicks this week? Or are you on Slimming Clubs this week? Or are you on keto? Or are you eating squirrels or whatever it is diet? Uh, wouldn't recommend eating squirrels. Um, don't do it. Um, but like the kids will latch onto that and they'll bring that to with them to adulthood and they'll see that as the normal thing to do. Mm. But if you can look at, say, identify where your parents or where your grandparents or whatever was, or they, did they struggle with their weight? Did they use negative language? They were, did they reward you when you were down? Did they tut tut when you kind of robbed stuff from the, the, the press or the cupboards and identify those little triggers and emotionally deal with them yourself? You'll, your kids will thank you later on for having addressed your stuff going on behind that. Because if you're, if you're saying, right, you've done your homework, here's a treat. I hate the word treat so much. It pisses me off. It's nearly as bad as good or bad food because the word treat is thrown around there so, so much that even when we're sad, oh, I deserve this. Is it I deserve this or do you want this? There's a very, very big difference between the two. Want is a very, very, there's no real emotion to it. I deserve is I've been good Monday to Thursday or Monday to Friday. So now I'm going to reward myself with a heap load of ice cream. Ice cream is class. Um, but that's but that's the thing. And that's that's the kind of the diet culture that we're caught in. It's like, oh, I can only go for so long saying no to these certain things. I wrote, I've been good. Decision fatigue will eventually come in. And then we blame willpower Monday to Friday, Saturday and Sunday. 43% of the week is gone diet starts Monday again that vicious circle that many people are caught into rather than trying to have the balance like Easter has just passed mm. and I know some Dallas posted some of your massive wins with your clients during the week up on your stories and so many massive wins about removing the guilt removing the emotion from the way they felt and then the, pe- the potentially people who have struggled by saying no eight times the ninth time it was like boom because they hadn't dealt with what they want because they felt they'd been restrictive. Mm. Um, and it's a hard thing to watch. It's a hard thing to understand uh, for that person because I haven't worked with the emotions internally. But I think what you, you bring in a kind of a, a, um, a food mood journal, I think you talk about, Jane. Yeah, I've used food mood journal with clients in the past where I have um, had them consider how they're feeling before, during, and after every meal and snack, just for like a week or two weeks to just, if they haven't been able to quite address their feelings around food or have had issues with like snacking more mindlessly in the evening and things like that, it's trying to bring around that attention to what the underlying feelings may be to make them consider it. And there's no right or wrong with it. It can be a mood, an emotion, feeling, anything at all, what, what you're feeling physically or mentally around your meals. And it can be quite helpful. I really agree, though, with you as well on the whole, when it comes to children, how you speak about yourself and how you talk about your body, how you talk about food, how you talk about your relationship with it is massively impactful in children. I think that's huge. And I also think something beneficial to consider is how you compliment, like how you talk to your children and like non-physical compliments, not like, oh, isn't she so pretty or oh, like that. 
be very aware of not constantly making all compliments towards your children about how they look. And when it comes to especially nutrition and, fit and fitness and stuff like that, to try and make it more about movement, more about how it makes you feel, like doing like, you know, that it makes you feel good, it makes you feel energized, makes you strong, you know, and we're like bringing like less focus on food around gaining weight, losing weight, fat loss, anything like that around your diet and stuff that like if, if it's an area that you've struggled with, just being very conscious around your word usage around food with children because they absorb everything like sponges. So I do think that that's a, a, a valuable idea is just the, the non-physical compliments because we're very inclined as humans to say to our friends, our family, our children, stuff about isn't that a pretty dress or aren't you looking lovely or isn't he this, that, and the other, like, you know, makes it all like, or it's like with like young boys telling them that they should be like strong and not cry and like all those different things. It's like these very, very gender normative ways that we compliment and tell our children to do things that can be really impactful in how they feel about these things growing up. Yeah. And I'll build upon that and say, get rid of social media until they're released in their adolescence. Yeah. I agree. It's going to be a hard thing to deal with, but like we're starting to see kids from the ages of five to eight having anxiety. We've never had this in the world. Anxiety was usually something that came with age as you started coming into and understanding more aspects of the world. Kids at five to kind of like that five to eight, five to nine, ten region, like you're still too young to cope with these aspects. It's like there's so much changing within yourselves and your environment. And it's like, and this is a direct product of social media going up and staying late and not getting the sleep and be able to just be a social justice warrior, you know, being the person who can say whatever they want and, you know, it starts creating these negative effects with them. So it's like, there's a lot to think of and social media is very damaging for kids. It's like when you start noticing that some of these, uh, high-end companies, likes of Facebook, Snapchat, and Instagram, and some of the people that are high up in the companies don't have their own children on the social media platforms. It's like if they don't have their own children on the social media platform, that kind of tells you something. Why the hell does your kid have access to it? And it's like we've spent, well, they've spent millions and millions and millions, close to billions, I would say, on getting some of the best forms of psychology brought into platforms to ensure the addictive nature behind it. They've spent time ensuring it will trigger repetitive behavior so that it can take over because that's how they make their money. So it's like you're giving a child so early where, as Jane was saying, is a sponge to these aspects, you're kind of predisposing certain aspects now that we're unsure of that if they spend another 20 years on this planet, what is going to occur thanks to addictive natures? What is going to occur from, you know, more of an ADHD problem or in terms of looking at the world and staying focused? It's like we have research like even to show that when mothers um, are breastfeeding their children, they're watching TV, they're disinterested with their children. That predisposes them to higher chances of ADHD later on in life because the mother was never paying attention in those very moments. Now the kid picks up on this. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Now when toddlers start watching TV at an early age, everything changes so rapidly. So like, why do I have to truly stay focused on anything? So we see children walking later and later, which is like, what? We should be walking pre predominantly pretty early. 
So it's like there's knock-on effects, and it's like we've spoken about nutrition, we've spoken about how you talk. It's also bring these aspects in so that there's a more wholesome idea of what children can be so that when we are adults, we don't have so many problems going, crap, this is from the upbringing, this is from all the way people spoke to me. I think even now that everyone's or most people are getting out for walks and stuff, you can see when people, I'm not, I don't want this to be a judgment comment, but like, as you said, with the, the parents on social media or someone breastfeeding their kids when they're watching TV, but you can see it sometimes as well with parents on their phones, scrolling on their phones with the baby in the pram. And I know it's their escapism as well. The walk is one to get the baby to sleep two to clear your head, but probably the first one the most is try and get the baby to be quiet um, and go to sleep. But I think subconsciously that baby is looking. Subconsciously that baby is looking at what, and like neither, none of us are our parents. We're definitely kids, but we're not, we're not parents. But um, what we do, like if you're talking about yourself in a negative light, if you're talking about yourself in negative context, or if you're up on social media at night when you're potentially at dinner table, um, I think it's, is it one of the companies, I think it's Air, or one of the companies has a campaign. The ad is that like, it's the whole family and the youngest kid comes up and tells the mom to put her phone away at dinner. That's to lead by example. So like if you're doing it, your kids are going to pick up on that. I know it's different with, with working from home and stuff. I do get that. But set the boundaries. Like even if it's like an hour of present time having dinner with your family, even if it's an hour of going for a walk and bringing your kids to the park, even if it's like 20 minutes of just, I don't know, kicking a football with your kid out in the back garden, there's your why. There's your, your reason to try and put this stuff away. Because if you're talking about yourself negatively, if you're not putting your own health first, your kids are going to pick up on that subconsciously. And unfortunately... I can't see it changing anytime soon unless something drastically changes with a ban on social media at a certain age. And I can't see it happening because there's too much money being made. Unfortunate. Like boundaries, I won't go on too much of a rant, but everyone just get freaking boundaries. Create your damn boundaries, people. Like learn from at a young age, have your parents create boundaries, create parent, like boundaries in workplace. Just do it. Like it is there for you. It's there to make sure your life can function. It's there so you can look after yourself. It is not there so you can be an asshole. Everyone's like, oh, create a boundary so I can be an asshole. It's not so you're an asshole. It's so that you have the time to be you. It's for you. There's to- negative language straight away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, but like, if don't be afraid to say no. You'll thank yourself and your kid will thank yourself if you're saying no to more opportunities. And that's the hardest part. Most people don't want to say no. They want to keep pouring from an empty cup and then burn out and keep, keep that repetitive cycle. You're going to be more beneficial to the people you want to be around with if you say no to to suggest i'd rather have a parent who's there present with me for even half an hour an hour a day than someone who is saying yes to every single thing and not being at home that's that's and i understand that people have very some people have very very stressful jobs and stressful time for a lot of people but now will be the time to try and address those underlying things when you're potentially at because generally when we get stressed we fall back into past behaviors quite quickly um, but there's so much in that episode there's like father's not a feeling language and identity weight stigma and quality culture trauma which a new Dallas is going to launch in <laughs> that grenade he's just going to go boo body positivity my pleasure my yeah, pleasure exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I knew he was going to put in boundaries I knew he was going to try and angle that in too I was like I have to say something I knew he was going to say the B word yeah. um, and then food and mood journaling so 
yeah so episode 10 of coach's corner guys so thank you for listening if you've enjoyed it please leave a review now um but thank you so much for coming on hopefully we didn't go on too many rants but uh yeah hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode